You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today we are in for a treat. We have a part two with Dr. Josh Friedman. Now I will say it's been, it's not technically a part two because it's been well over a year since he's been on the show. So first, let me just welcome you to the show. Thank you so much, Erin. And then I'm going to read all the good stuff because there's, (laughs) there's so much information about him and and you guys are going to understand why I had him on because it's fascinating. He has his doctorate in psychology from New York university. He did postdoctoral training in psychoanalysis from the training and research Institute for self psychology in New York city. After working in the field for a few years, he realized that something was missing from traditional mental health treatment. Curiosity and a chance meeting led him to discover the world of nutritional psychology. So I will skip over the rest because he went down that rabbit hole, just like I did. And that's what we're going to discuss. So I don't want to, you know, spoil, spoil anything. He also became certified as a yoga teacher and he incorporates the emphasis on breathing techniques, meditation, and movement into his work, which is so, so important for mental wellness and to enhance his effectiveness in helping people heal and grow. He also became certified as a holistic health counselor from the Institute for integrative nutrition, which is where I also went as well. So yay. And he earned a diploma of comprehensive nutrition from Huntington College of Health Sciences. He dug deeper into biochemistry of mental health by becoming a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. I mean, I resonate with so much of this because I'm always seeking out the next certification. And I think you also just did something else with functional medicine, right? Right. I became certified as a functional medicine practitioner through Functional Medicine University. Yes. I love that. So we are going to have the best conversation. Yeah. 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 No, this is great. I mean, it's just, I think it's important to share your background so people understand that this is, this is a passion of yours, right? Just digging into mental health and how to support people. Right. So I, yeah, I on this journey for maybe 25 years, um, I started, I started out in New York and was getting my doctorate. Uh, and then right after I graduated, I went to work in an eating disorder center, uh, like sort of a very well-known one in New York. And like one, it was a great program. It was multidisciplinary. There were nutritionists and movement therapists, art therapists, um, ther- uh, psychotherapists. Um, and one thing we used to eat with the patients And one thing I realized was we were serving people food of like incredibly poor quality. And every time I tried to bring it up, I was sort of met with resistance. Food is food, calories are calories. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. Um, And then like, as I continued on, I realized like a lot of things that didn't make sense. Like I started, you know, I started private practice. Um, and we were doing, I was doing therapy. And then when people would have symptoms, I would refer them to a psychiatrist for medicine. And like 30 or 40% of people would get better quite quickly. And then the other 70%, I mean, these aren't like, yeah. uh, this is just off the top of my head, but a big chunk of people would be taking medicine after medicine. They'd be on two medicines, mm-hmm. three medicines, four medicines. Yep. And as far as I could tell, they were getting worse. Yeah. Like they weren't getting better. Like maybe like, and I was like, there's something wrong with this. Yeah. Um, and then I was handed a book and the book I was handed was called The Mood Cure by Julia Ross. Mm-hmm. And it was about, it was about nutritional medicine approach to mental health. And it was about the use of these tools called amino acids and it was about the use of diet um, to um, help people achieve balanced mood. And it was like brand new information to me. And I realized, I was like, God, I went to, it took, I did seven years of training as a psychologist. I did two years of postdoctoral training, the, the better part of nine years. And I thought back and not one person ever mentioned food in any of the classes I was in. I mean, there was lots of good stuff, but to me, this felt like a glaring um, uh, deletion, like, oh, we are mind-body people. 
our brains are connected to our bodies. We know a whole lot like collectively about health and food. Why don't we know, why don't we think about um, health, uh, mental health and food? Yeah. So that, that sort of is, le- that led me sort of on a journey. Yeah. Um, and very quickly, I called Julia Ross and I started talking to her and I, and she said, come out and do a training. And I was like, I'm in. And so I was smitten, like sort mm-hmm. of from that moment, I was like, and that was probably about 20 years ago. And so, and I like, I'm a humanities person, uh, a social science person, like stories are more interesting to me mm-hmm. and like all of a sudden I'm being faced with like oh there are physiological tools these amino acids and I learned oh these amino acids are very specific proteins and I realized like oh the neurotransmitters of the brain the communication chemicals the mood chemicals those are made from protein and the only thing in the world that they that can make them is protein and so I was like that's amazing. And so I took this information and I went back to, um, I went back to the eating disorder center and we had these team meetings where we would discuss clients. And I said, like, I found the cure. Like, I felt like I found the cure. I found like the missing piece. This is the thing we've been missing. And I'd like talk for 15 minutes and then blank stares. And I said, like, and I said it again, and they didn't get me. They just didn't get it. Like, they weren't interested. And I was like, how couldn't you be interested? Like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, this is incredibly important. Like, we're doing all this good stuff. We're helping 60% of people. What if we focused on the basics? What if we thought about um, nutritional deficiencies? And at that point, I didn't know anything. I didn't really, it was much more theoretical. I didn't know, oh, there's testing for this stuff. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like, oh, there are nutritional deficiency tests. Oh, there's this thing called the methylation cycle, which runs on (laughs) B vitamins that is incredibly important in how we make neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. So I started from nothing. And then I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and it was presented in a language that I, it was mm-hmm. like a very layperson language, but they would bring in the sort of world experts. And when I did it, it was in person in New York. It was one of the last years they did it in person. Mm-hmm. And it was before Facebook, which to me was like huge because Facebook sort of democratized information at the beginning <laughs> anyway. And so, so they would bring in uh, Dr. Andy Weil. They would bring in Neil Bernard, who was from Harvard. They brought in, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, The Mark, uh, the the head of function, Mark Hyman Mm -hmm. came in. And so I was, I was like, my mind was blown. And so I never was sort of the same after that. Like I never was, I never was just a therapist after that because I had a different hat. So I became, I mean, I think, I didn't call myself a nutritional psychologist at the time, but that was sort of the direction I went in. Yeah. That there's different levels of healing. Um, and the psychology was a huge part of it. The narratives that keep us stuck, huge part of it. Um, neuroplasticity, a huge part of it. The inner critic that we have. And then I discovered like, oh, there's this level of building blocks of nutrition. And then I, I ended up having a pretty big crisis of my own and ended up finding yoga through that mm-hmm. and healing through finding my body and finding my breath and learning mm-hmm. to center and calm. And so, like, I think of, like, there, there being all these different levels. And then I learned uh, neurofeedback and that we're electrical beings. Yeah. And then, enter, you know, and so I played with hooking people up to machines for a couple of years. Um, And I don't do that anymore because everything you learn is a whole lifetime of study. So if you want to be a good neurofeedback practitioner, you can't do seven other things. And so like, I've tried to figure out like lanes, like what's my lane. And so I've left that to other more skilled 
people. That's so interesting. And I, I resonate with so much of that. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's how I feel. Cause I'm interested in all of it. I want to yeah. know. I mean, that's why I have you on the show. That's why I have different people with different lanes on the show. Cause I, I want to learn, you know, like I want to know right. more about how, how do we support people? Because I, I think we were told, you know, 20 years ago when the mood cure was out, I was told that it's just the chemicals in your brain. You know, we've, we've had this mm-hmm. chemical theory model but that's never actually been proven, right? Can you, can you talk a little about that? You know, it's interesting. So there would be, there are people that say that, that there are no good studies linking uh, neurotransmitter levels to, to, um, to mood that you can have. And uh, my, so my experience, so Kelly Brogan is a very well-known psychiatrist who's been very, very critical of the uh, monoamine hypothesis. And that's that these neurotransmitters are implicit in um, the regulation of mood. And uh, I think there's, in my experience, using nutritional tools like like tryptophan and 5-HTP to raise serotonin as an example, tyrosine to raise uh, dopamine, norepinephrine, that these are incredibly powerful tools that reliably change people's experiences and mood. I think what I've learned is that neurotransmitters are likely a downstream effect and that there can be things that certainly affect neurotransmitter levels. So some examples of that are is all the research on the gut-brain connection and the vagus nerve that there's clearly a connection between what's happening in the gut and what's happening in the brain. And that if you have problems in the gut, dysbiosis, candida overgrowth, um, parasites, um, even you know too many, too many good bugs in the wrong place, SIBO, um, that that is directly gonna affect inflammation in the brain. So that's like one thing. So it's like, oh, so it could still be that there are issue, there's issues with brain chemistry, but the brain rests in the body. If there's systemic inflammation, if there's problems with barrier function, like leaky gut or leaky brain, there's going to be all kinds of toxicities that's floating around. Um, there's lots of information on hormones and hormone levels and hormone balances and things like serotonin. So when estrogens go up, serotonin goes down. When cortisol goes up, stress hormone, uh, serotonin goes down. So what if it's like a, that we're wrong to ever think about one thing uh, as being everything. And it's much righter to think about this being a concert and that it can both be neurotransmitters And that neurotransmitters aren't the only thing that affect mood. So I've studied a lot with Dr. Bill Walsh, and he's a very famous biochemist that for many years has focused on the importance of brain chemistry and focused on on identifying the most common causes of brain chemistry imbalances. And so the things he's focused on after 50 years of sort of looking at the data, he focuses on methylation status. He focuses on the balance of copper and zinc. So copper and zinc is another one. So when copper goes up, estrogen goes up. When estrogen goes up and copper goes up, um, serotonin goes down. He focuses on a genetic condition uh, that's that you can test in the urine called pyroluria. And pyroluria has to do with hemoglobin synthesis um, and vitamin B6 and zinc being robbed from the body in this process. Yes. So that's a word that I don't think anybody has heard on this podcast before, that word pyroluria. So I want to touch on that and get into how that impacts our mental health. But before we do, I want to take a second and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Native. 
When it comes to personal hygiene, who has time to read that long list of ingredients on the back of the bottle? Some ingredients I can't even pronounce. If you're like me and you care about what goes on your body, then it's time to try native personal care products like I did. Every native product is thoughtfully formulated to keep you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. Best known for their aluminum-free deodorant, Native wants to help you practice safe sweats, which is why they keep their ingredients list bare naked with ingredients you understand like coconut oil, shea butter, and baking soda. Native deodorant checks a lot of boxes, 24-hour odor protection, naturally derived ingredients, a smooth residue-free application, and over 10 cents to choose from. I personally have been using native deodorant for a long time, and I'm a really active person, and I'll be honest, I do sweat a lot, but it does not stink when I'm wearing my native deodorant. I love the way that all the products smell, and they also don't gunk up on my skin and they do go on smoothly. Native's coconut and vanilla scented deodorant, that's my favorite. It's been a fan favorite for years. And other scents include lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, or even unscented. Recently, Native has partnered with Baked by Melissa with a collection of scents inspired by Baked by Melissa's delicious cupcake creations. So you can choose from tie-dye vanilla cupcake, mint cookie cupcake, fresh peach cupcake, which I also really love, to ginger lemonade cupcake. They are sure to make your day a little sweeter. Now is the time to to make the switch from an antiperspirant to native. When you visit their site, you can discover all their fresh scents and maybe even try out one of their moisturizing body washes while you're at it. I love those and I love the bar soaps. Smell and feel fresh all day long with native. Get 20% off your first order by going to nativedo.com spark or use promo code spark at checkout. That's nativedeo.com slash spark or use promo code spark at checkout for 20% off your first order. Now, Dr. Friedman, getting back into this concept of pyroluria, this word that maybe listeners have not heard before, you're you're talking about how it affects the availability of zinc and B6 in the body. So how does this impact mental health in those who have this condition? So if you have cryptopyroles, cryptopyroles also connected to oxidative stress. High levels of oxidative stress lead to all kinds of problems. But this decrease in B6 and zinc leads to the inability to make neurotransmitters. So these are important, like very important cofactors in serotonin production, GABA production, which is the anti-anxiety amino acid neurotransmitter and dopamine production. So I, I think it's a really complex, it's quite a complex concert we're, we're, we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Even that like, all these people at the genetic level. So everyone, many of the people that are listening probably have heard people talk about MTHFR. Yeah, and, and <laughs> the celebrity but, gene mutation, right? <laughs> but that's the interest. The interesting thing is like, oh, like even if MTHFR is the most important gene for as part of this methylation cycle to make neurotransmitters, um, if, if if it is the most important. It's sort of like the way that a violin might, the first chair, the first chair violin might be the most important instrument in a concert. Yeah. But there is no concert without the ensemble. Mm. With the, you know, so there's 75 other genes that we know about that are involved, even with the methylation cycle. So it's always like incredibly curious to me that we pay so much attention. I can't tell you how many calls every week I get saying, you know, I'm, I'm MTHFR heterozygous or homozygous. Mm -hmm. What should I do? I felt terrible on methylfolate. Mm -hmm. um, but then the, the more you learn, I, I, the more I learn, you're like, oh, it's really complex. <laughs> so Dr. Walsh, I just did a, I just did a class with Dr. Walsh on Saturday and he said, um, so folate is important for the, for methylation, the methylation cycle, but in the brain, folate works as a serotonin reuptake promoter. Wow. So 
it takes serotonin away. So it effectively lowers the functional levels of serotonin. And so his recommendation, counter to almost everyone, is you want to take a bigger snapshot of someone's methylation status rather than one specific gene. Mm -hmm. And he thinks we're not quite there yet with the methyl methyl genetics that people are doing now. Mm -hmm. So he just looks at methylation either using whole blood histamine as a general marker or using, there, there's a test called the methylation pathways test that Doctors Data has. Um, but so for an under-methylator, he has them, uh, under-methylator would mean lower levels of serotonin. He has them avoid folates at all costs. And in his experience, he finds that they respond badly to folates mm-hmm. and he uses folates only for over-methylators. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that may be, hopefully that's not too complex. No, I think that's really good. I'm so glad you brought it up because people are, I mean, MTHFR is is everywhere right now. Um, and it seems to be like, oh, well, I have MTHFR, so this, or I have it, so this. And it's, I think, and, and I went down the trail in the beginning because I think it was something that I could hold on to, to go, yeah. oh, this makes sense to me that, that there's right. this, you know, snip that it, it affects the way that my body you know, absorbs Mm -hmm. B vitamins and detoxifies and all of these things. Okay. That makes sense because I think for a lot of people, when the meds stop working, right. Or when we are still struggling in spite of being on the meds for a long time, we're looking for other answers and looking for, okay, well, what's actually causing this? Because they told me it was just chemicals in my brain. Well, we're addressing just the chemicals in my brain, but my body feels off. I have all these other things going on. And so I think there's right. a benefit to, to learning about it, but you're, it's so much more complex than staying away from folic acid. right? <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. And the question, I think you bring up a really good question is what do people do? Yeah. Like, where do you, like, where do you start? I think that is like a really complicated issue for our field. Like, mm-hmm. what do we do? What do we do with the treatment failures? And there's a term that we use, which is treatment resistant. And so, but like, really, what does treatment resistant mean? Treatment resistant means we failed you. Like, Mm. we're the failure. A client is never, a client can't be the failure. A client can fail a treatment when they don't participate in the treatment. Like, if they're, and, but often they're not able to. But usually it's that our imagination has failed you. And the question is, how do we imagine better? Because what happens? So here's, you go, to, you go to your doctor, you get on your first med. I mean, I went through it at 21, you know, I, you know then you get on your second med. Then you get punted to a psychiatrist or a nurse yep. practitioner because they're like, this is too complex. I only, I only prescribe antidepressants. Um, And then you try a number of meds. And if you're lucky, you might get to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. But plenty of people never get to, they never get to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. But even if you do get to see a therapist and the therapist happens to be very well-trained in one of like a, a huge number of therapies that are quite effective. And you're floundering, like, what do you, like, what do you do? Like, what's next? And within the system, they're going to say, oh, if your mood's unstable, you're going to do something like DBT, like dialectical behavior therapy. Very effective for unstable moods, for working with impulse control, stuff like this. If you have trauma, you might go to EMDR. Mm-hmm. Um, medically, they might say, um, there's, a, there's this magnetic therapy called TMS. Okay, you go to TMS and they do... 80 sessions of TMS. Okay, that's not working. Then maybe ECT, electroshock therapy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and plenty of people get there. And it's a, in the cases that these, these um, tools work, psychiatry is amazing. Like when you see someone on the right med and it works, you never see that person again. Yeah. They don't have a lot of side effects. It like addressed the problem that they had. Um, but what about everyone else? 
and and the the everyone else is like a really pretty good sized group. It's a lot. It's a lot more than we talk about. And we don't really. I don't think we really address that. The 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 under and I think they're like under treated, and they're under treated mm-hmm. because we don't have, we don't know what we're looking at, and we don't even have a place to start. So, I don't know about you, but very few people will go see even like how many psychiatrists are actually doing any medical testing. Like that, how many psychiatrists do a medical screening, like even for the low hanging fruit? So like, like, you know, low hanging fruit being thyroid, full thyroid, like, okay, how's your thyroid doing? That's low hanging. So these are, these are the labs that are offered through Quest or through, you know, any, any doctor can order anyone with insurance can get these labs. How many, how many get their B12 tested? How many get their vitamin D tested? How many get uh, their C-reactive protein or sed oh, rate for, for inflammation? That, that alone, then you, you, know where to, you know where you're going. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's someone with a C-reactive protein of 10. Okay, so what do you know from that? You know that they, there's some sort of an inflammatory process going on. Like, how come that's not part of standard practice? Yeah. I saw Dr. Daniel Amen speak. He happened, he came to Nebraska about 10 years ago. And he does these, uh, you know, and your audience might know, he does these quite interesting blood flow scans, spectrometry scans. And he has a very, very, very large database. And so he understands the different patterns and if you understand the pattern there the five different kinds of add the three different kinds of anxiety the um bipolar you know all these different things only if you understand what you're looking at can you come up with a good treatment plan Mm, yeah so that's that's really um to me that's like oh what i was going to say is at the end of its, his talk, this was 12 years ago about, he said, um, if every psychiatric patient isn't being given a spectrometry scan in 10 years, it should be considered malpractice. Wow. So how many patients do you think get spectrometry scans? Yeah, none. I mean, <laughs> it's not happening only, unless they go only, to an aiming only, clinic. And they have to pay five grand. Like only mm-hmm. it's it's reserved for the ultra well. It, it's reserved yeah. for the desperate yep. and the wealthy. Yeah. Um, and that and that is a problem. Like to find like a doc um, who knows how to unpack this stuff. To find someone who um, knows where to start mm-hmm. is difficult. And the question is. And, and in my experience, not every functional medicine doctor really gets mental health. Yeah, that's true. And they do, they do something kind of standard often. Like we're, we're in a little, so we're, we're pretty like we're, I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, typical city, you know, and we have one or two functional medicine practitioners here who are quite skilled, mm. but they don't really work with mental health and they don't like alter what they do. They focus on they focus on gut health. They focus on hormones, and sometimes they hit they 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 hit the jackpot, and sometimes they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, you just you said so much there. I'm just like, okay, where yeah. am I going? <laughs> where am I going next? Um, because I, I think that we one of my concerns is, as you said, it's people get desperate; they're willing to pay anything, but the majority mm-hmm. of people don't have the means to go, okay, well, let's get some actual tech, like some really deep testing done to know what's going yeah. on. Um, I, I just know, even for what I do, I don't take insurance, you know? And so it's, it, that's, that's right. tricky. So we're talking. And about- I don't, I, and I don't either. Right. I mean, right. I have two businesses. I have a psychotherapy mm-hmm. practice, like, which is normal cycle. I mean, it's integrative, but it's a insurance. I do take insurance for that, mm. but all of this stuff. So here's part of like being a professional in this world. 
all of this stuff is outside the scope of practice for me. Yeah. So I like, I have the scope of, I have a license and by doing this other stuff, uh, I put myself at risk some, yeah. like in some ways, like my license is at risk a little bit. Mm. And it's sort of like, do I play, do I be safe or do I try to help people? And I made the, <laughs> I made the choose. No, you shouldn't. And I made the calculation years ago that I'm going to do my best to protect myself. Mm. I'm going to have two businesses. I'm going to have two mm. LLCs. I'm going to have one that's cash only, mm. um, which I there's some problems with because of access. I'm going to, but I'm going to create two businesses. But it um, it's not good that we have to like bend over backwards and think about our own, you know, like that we that. I could be, I could get into trouble for doing something that I'm trying to be helpful on. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Yeah. It's a lot, you know, and you said something at the beginning that I, I want to get back to um, because I, there's so many things that we could talk about. <laughs> I remember this happened last time, um, but talking about something that's popped up a lot for me is not necessarily eating disorders, but disordered eating because yeah. of wellness trends because of clean yeah. eating because of, and there's a disconnect right now. I think there's this whole food freedom movement, intuitive eating, which has helped many, many people recover from eating disorders. But then we also sure. know quality of food makes a difference in what neurotransmitters are produced and utilized. Agreed. And so how do we find for somebody who wants to start eating healthier, but also knows that they have a background of disordered eating, you know, where's the balance yeah. and how do you stay away from becoming too, you know, obsessive about food, but knowing that you want to nourish yourself well, like, have you had that struggle? Yeah. I mean, I, I actually, I've had that struggle for, I mean, I've had that struggle in multiple ways. So when I started learning, when I was working at the eating disorder center, and the, the motto of an eating disorder center is there are no bad foods, right? That there are foods you eat in moderation, but there are no bad foods. And when I was learning that didn't match up with in a way. Yeah. So there, there might not be any generic, gen, generic bad foods. And I actually don't believe that. I think they're probably, they're fake foods that our <laughs> bodies don't know how to speak to like yeah. food. Food is information. Foods turn on genes. Herbs turn on genes. Like food, like food is information. And so fake food, lab-produced food, uh, Julia Ross calls them frankenfoods, which I think is, those aren't good foods, not because they're not good foods, but because they're not actually food. Right. Because food is information. They are, they're, they're, they are entertainment. And they're costly entertainment for some people. And I think some people, like if you think about an autistic kid who's a canary in a coal mine, they don't have a lot of um, bandwidth for, um, they don't have a lot of bandwidth for missing the mark on some of their lifestyle things because they, don't, they can't detox well. Mm -hmm. um, so professionally, like I sort of, bumped up against that when I was when I was learning about IgG allergies that people and that people do have reactions to foods and some of those have to do with their general health and vitality and well-being but sometimes there there are real reactions that people have bad effects to but I did um, about two years ago I did about six months of the ketogenic diet mm -hmm. um, and it was really very effective for me. And I lost, like, I, I felt much better. I was clearer. I lost a, a bunch mm -hmm. of weight. And, but there was a point where I got really weird about food mm. and I got like, I weighed myself regularly, mm. multiple times a day. I got like, I got tripped up in my head and my friend was like, she's a therapist she was like you need to back off mm. because you're not this is not good like this the place that and she was a trauma person and you need to sort of person she's like you're bumping up against something here and 
it was the first time I sort of got the eating disorder patient. Like I got the thinking mm. from the inside, from mm -hmm. like, oh, because it felt so good. And I felt powerful, like incredibly mm. powerful. Um, and so I think having a community of people around you that can help you like navigate this. And I think the whole psychology is people are scared and they want someone to tell them what's going to help them. Yeah. And so when they do, they sometimes get into it in a way where it's not very balanced. Um, and the question is like, how do you learn? How do you learn to like have that observing ego part of you that know that can watch when you when the desperate part of you and the scared part of you is like doing too much and going too far? And at first it helps for that observing ego maybe to be a trusted confidant. Um, but I do think that this idea of ortho, uh, orthorexia, mm -hmm. this idea of foods being, being too chaste and too good, um, I think it can be problematic. Mm -hmm. there, there's, I don't know, I'm sure, uh, Paul Newman has, has this brand Newman's own. Yeah. And his daughter, Nell Newman wrote a book and it's, I think, called flexitarian or being, the idea is being flexible with food. And she said for her, she's found a diet that works for her. She's vegetarian um, and she has some rules she follows, but she will always prioritize relatedness, connection with others above food. Mm -hmm. So if she's invited to someone's home and they they don't remember that she's vegetarian and they serve meat, she will always say yes. And I, I thought like, to me, I know that some people have a serious problem with that, but to me, like this idea is how do we be flexible? And in, in this day and age where everyone is so incredibly rigid mm -hmm. and that we don't know how to talk to each other in flexible <laughs> ways, like really like that, like our society is gonna work or not work based on the culti cultivation of flexibility. And so how do you know what's good for you and also be flexible? But I think it's a really important, it's a big issue. And I think there is a ton of disordered eating in health circles. Yeah, yeah, and in and, and, and wellness circles. And I think it, it's just something that I, it's been on my heart a lot lately because like you, I go back and forth because I, I want to try whatever's going to make my brain work best. Right. Like that's yeah. what I want to try. So if it's keto, great. Give me all the fat and MCT oil, you know, <laughs> like whatever it is. And so I'll yeah. try those things, but I am an, a natural rebel. And so I get to a point where I'm going to rebel against whatever I'm being told <laughs> to do, yeah, including right. whatever food system. So there has to be some kind of a balance for mental health because you know, if, even if we're talking about that sympathetic parasympathetic balance that we need to have, I think too much rigidity can cause fight or flight, you know, and it can do the opposite yeah, of, right. of what we want it to do. And so I think that that's, I think what you're sharing is really important for people to hear. Um, because we do know that the majority of the food in our grocery stores is not actually real food. You know, it's like our body's that's like, right. Hey, I think maybe that's a snack, but I don't know. I have to, what is all the stuff I have to filter through? You know, I, I kind of feel like that's what my body is asking when I'm putting some of that, in, you know, like I, I just have this inner yeah. dialogue of going, Hmm, what's my body actually going to do with this? I don't know. We don't know. Um, you know, and yeah. so, but there are times and places and events and celebrations and family gatherings where you don't want to be that person. That's like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to eat my celery. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, I had this experience. I went out, I was at a conference. I went out with a well-known nutritionist um, and they didn't eat anything. And and we were with, it was in a group and it was interesting. It was like very, very interesting. They couldn't eat the food that was served in a restaurant. They couldn't mm -hmm. find something to eat in the restaurant. And I thought a lot about that. And I honored the choice mm -hmm. that, the, that this person made. And it was like, oh, that's really hard. It's really hard. And are there times that people do need to be, to be chased like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if, you know, there's, 
people can have, you know, there's this casomorphine issue and Mm -hmm. gliomorphine where you experience gluten and casein as a psychoactive substance (laughs) that can cause schizophrenia and autism. That's real. Like that's really real for certain Mm -hmm. people, but is it real for everyone? It's not real for everyone. And proper identification of these things are important, but for that person to lapse, that's dangerous actually. Mm. Like it's a, it's a danger. And, but part of the problem is there's so much noise and we're, we're coming from a fear-based place that we're going to grab onto things that don't necessarily fit our unique biochemical individuality or our unique psychology. And so like, you know, it's easy. Like for a while I was really evangelical about keto and like, that wasn't the right thing to like with other people, with clients, with friends, I was like a keto priest. Mm -hmm. And the (laughs) truth is it's not right for everyone. And, you know, it's interesting because around that time, my wife, we had our genetics done and we had it put through, um, Bob Miller's um, methyl genetic program. And we had a doctor interpret it for us. And my wife's like, has none of the genes to digest fat. And the doctor was like, you should be on a vegetarian diet. And she's, she's, she grew up in an ashram. She's a big yogi and she eats vegetarian. And she's like, that makes, and part of the reason she gravitated to that in the first place was because she would get sick from foods. Um, And I do think the beginning of many eating disorders um, is this your body telling you something Mm. and you try to fix it and you end up fixing it in an extreme way. And then you compound it, compound an existing problem by avoiding things that you need. So one Mm -hmm. thing we know, so Dr. Greenblatt is a well-known psychiatrist who specializes in eating disorders. He'll say anorexia is a functional zinc deficiency. And so what do you find, what foods have a lot of zinc? Meat. Mm -hmm. What foods, meat, and so people are like zinc deficient to begin with. Zinc is, um, is one of the important cofactors for making hydrochloric acid so if you're zinc deficient to begin with so let's go back to being maybe you're pyroloric so you're pyroloric you have low levels of zinc and b6 you don't make any of the digestive enzymes you don't make hydrochloric acid well so how do you think you do when your mom's hurt you're 13 14 your mom you grow up in the midwest you eat a lot of steak you eat a lot of chicken how do you think you, and you get bloated and you feel shit. Like, what do you think those kids do to fix the problem? Like they stop eating those things, mm-hmm. their, their tendency. And then you add in all the other psychological pieces. But then if you're not providing the body with the sources of zinc, you become more zinc deficient and yeah. more zinc deficient. And then you're in a position where actually you almost can't eat anything. And so those people need nutritional repair, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but, but intelligent nutritional repair, like where do you start? Okay. Let's start. Let's start by giving a little bit of zinc. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's start with the basics. If you, if, if someone's knowledgeable enough, Oh, you're not digesting. Well, what's the chemistry? Oh, you've been avoiding zinc foods for the the past three years like why don't we support your chemistry why don't we support your digestion while we're building up your nutritional status why don't we give you a little bit of hydrochloric acid why don't we give you some enzymes why don't you give you some digestive bitters you know and that that's not a complex thing to do that's not fancy functional medicine that's like like sort of basic knowledge. And I, I think I think we as a field, I, I think also patients are looking for silver bullets 
and clinicians are also looking for silver bullets. Yeah. We're all attracted to shiny things. So now it's ketamine. Yeah. Like, that's, ketamine's uh-huh. like a big thing. Like I remember 20 years ago seeing people addicted to ketamine. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, clients, I remember all that. It's like, okay, now we're using this therapeutically. And then now it's psilocybin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fun one. Yeah, I know somebody who's doing that right now. <laughs> I, I mean, it, and it's going to be the big, it's the big rage. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think every, I think all of these developments are quite interesting. And I've done psilocybin. And I think, and it's incredible. It, mm. It's an incredible experience that very quickly allows you a perspective that is very difficult to achieve except through things like intense meditation. Interesting. Um, and not many people have the capacity, not many people who really need it have the capacity for three hours of meditation a day. Right. Like, um, so I think these tools are really interesting, but I, I don't know, it, it, they're not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And the question is like, where do people start? and who are reliable sources of information. And like, how do you sort through all the noise and not be incredibly disappointed as you do a little bit with this person, a little bit with that person. And in my experience, like like finding people you trust and keep listening to them. So yeah. someone like, so one person I trust that I think I know, I think we both trust is Trudy Scott. Yeah, for um, sure. I think Trudy's, in, I think, and I always appreciate her. She stays in her lane. Mm-hmm. She educates on very basic things over and over and over again. Mostly, I mean, on her podcast, I mean, on her uh, summits, she's diving in, she's interviewing people about very deep issues um, about, the, you know, the vagus nerve and I think the, the gut brain axis, mm-hmm. all this cool stuff. But she doesn't get seduced. Like she's uber clear that people need basic information. And she leaves the shiny stuff to people that are more experts in a way. And I think she's, I think she's like you are. She's translational. Hmm. Like she's very intelligent and she can translate from the gods. From, yeah. the, from the from the experts from that Mark Hyman's of the world mm-hmm. from Dr. Amon's you know like down to okay so what the heck do I do with this mm-hmm. like how do I synthesize this what's the first step mm-hmm. what's the second step what's the third step yeah and um, that's what people need that's I mean and her book is a great resource for that that I recommend exactly. all the time because you're right it's, right what do we do? There's all this noise. How do we tap into, and maybe, you know, that would be the last thing I ask you, or one of the last things <laughs> um, is, is how do we tap into our unique individuality to try and see what is right for us? Right. Um, so I have three things to say about that. So I always start with people with diet um, and I help, I, I found the diet, like, so I did a big, extensive, um, like a big, extensive um, reading on mental health nutrition about five or six years ago. And I read every single thing I could find on it, um, maybe 20 books. And I wrote a little, maybe I can share it with you. I wrote, uh, if people want to go to my website, it's on there as like a free like handbook. Um, it's moodhealing.com. But the diet that I've sort of settled on is doing an elimination diet, like a paleo elimination diet, taking out known inflammatory foods, focusing on real food, um, focusing on cooking for yourself, creating sacred space like around mindful eating, like really like bringing heart to food. And I think food is a relationship to food and nourishment is so important. And, and the idea that they teach in I, uh, Institute for Integrative Nutrition is that everything we ingest, relationships, 
media, social media, <clears throat> food, it's all nourishment. Our work. Um, so food is a big thing. And then I find that helping people identify neurotransmitter deficiencies, essential, uh, essential fatty acid deficiencies through like very basic pencil and paper questionnaires. Mm -hmm. So there's a questionnaire that I use that Trudy uses as well. Hers is well modified called the amino acid therapy chart. You can find it online. It's by Julia Ross um, is incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. um, providing like, and I've done it long enough where I have, I use a lot of intuition to sort of sense like, what does someone need? Um, what does someone need to ground? I give people some yoga practices. Mm -hmm. um, alternate nostril breathing is a real common one I would give. Sun salutation, depending on their condition. Um, but I, I've also been seeking, like, what are the best screening tools? So, like, what are the best places to start? Uh, blood chemistry put through a functional blood chemistry analyzer. Um, and I, I use one from Michael McAvoy from uh, Met, his, his company is called Metabolic Healing. But there are lots of them that look at the patterns in blood work, not necessarily single variables that are high and low, but it looks for functional blood chemistry patterns that give you information about thyroid, about adrenals, about inflammation, um, about hormones, and that provides a map. And I think the map is incredibly important. Um, I, I've started, I'm in the middle of a class, so I'm not an expert, but I, I've started a class in, in uh, hair mineral analysis, mm -hmm. which is absolutely fascinating old it's like a very old technology so in a world where we're focused on the latest and greatest we're finding some of these old tools that are like 75 years old give us a profound amount of information about how the body's functioning so the ratio of minerals and so this is sort of new to me it's like uber exciting can give you information about your oxidation status oh wow like whether you're a fast oxidizer or a slow oxidizer. Mm. And the, the, the supplementation is completely different. It can give you um, information about your general vitality, how depleted you are. Mm. And the, you, you have, would have a, like adrenal function, thyroid function, heavy metal status, detoxification function. So in some ways, it's a biochemical thumbprint. And if you think of minerals as the spark plugs of life, that, that's a great place to start mm. in, my, in my book. So I, I've been thinking about the same things that you're, maybe people listening are thinking and that you're thinking about is where do people start? And I'm... And I'm listening, there's some people that I respect that are saying they're giving HTMA. They're people that have like sort of moved beyond functional testing. They're like, yeah, if you're, if you're, it can be really helpful for certain things, but often you go down rabbit holes yeah, that yeah. actually, that take you farther away from <laughs> yeah. the truth. So really it's how do you build vitality and health? Mm -hmm. Because people that have vitality and health can coexist with parasites. People yeah. that have vitality and health aren't affected by mold. Mm. People that have vitality and health are, are able to coexist with toxins in different ways. Yeah. Not that those things don't need to be dealt with, but the people get that people that are affected are often their, their general vitality is quite low. Mm. So the next thing I'm on to is which you know there's so many it's so hard to know but like i'm always thinking like one step ahead as well this idea of neuroplasticity and limbic system rewiring i think is where it's at hmm. like so psychology my field has moved into the body 
Yeah. It had been in the mind a lot, but it's moved into the body and trauma and Dr. Vanderbilt's work mm-hmm. and yep. Peter Levine and somatic experiencing and Pat Ogden. Mm-hmm. And this idea of like, how do you rewire, how do you rewire people's um, reactive patterns? Yeah. We need and, that right now. <laughs> all right. That's where we are. That's yeah. where we are right now. So I think that, I think that's the, I, I really think that that's like a huge, the huge future of mental health mm. that, do you know, Annie Hopper's work, um, dynamic DNSR, dynamic neuro retraining system. I don't think I'm familiar with that. No, you should, you should, you should. Okay. Put a link my husband, so my, I'll she, have to ask him if he's heard of it. Cause he's all up in all this too. So <laughs> yeah, he probably does, but it's a, it's a neuroplasticity program designed to treat chronic illness. Oh, so wait, DNSR, they, is that what you said? DNSR, yeah, Dynamic okay. Neuro Retraining System, I think. DNRS, mm. DNRS. Um, so they, I, I'll just quickly tell you a, a story. I had a client who had mold illness, very ill. He had been a professional, had had to take a leave of absence for a number of years, incredibly reactive panic attacks, suicidal, was doing supplements, was making some progress, getting help, supporting detox pathways, sweating, all this stuff. Um, He went to see a functional medicine doc and the doc said, hey, your limbic system is, your sympathetic nervous system is just like out of control. The only way you're going to supplements, you're going to be throwing your money away unless you learn to shut this off. The Mm -hmm. man does... um, this four-day program, so DNRS uh, is a four-day program. By day two of this four-day neural retraining pathway, 80% of his symptoms were gone. Whoa. 80% of his symptoms were gone. And so it's a four-day program. And there's different, Dr. Gupta is another doc that does, has a, a limbic system program. But really, it's how does our psychology, how does our psychology also contribute to our vulnerability mm-hmm. to disease? Yeah. Um, and that's a huge, I think that's going to be a huge component going forward. I think yeah. so. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. we know the old tools may have helped for a time, but there, we need new tools. <laughs> and yeah, so we do learning about that. I mean, I think that that's, that's huge because I think people, Oh gosh, especially with the state of how things are right now. I think we're just, we're contributing to this fight or flight state in the body for everybody. And it's absolutely affecting physical health. So, oh yeah, there's, yeah. And that's, and that's like, you know, there's the, you know, I think there's this, this, that psychological piece, the nervous system, psychological piece. And then there's this fact that we live in an incredibly toxic world. Yeah. There's the emotional toxicity around us and the fear around us and then all of the toxicities that our bodies are not equipped to deal with yeah and so how do you protect yourself from how do you protect yourself but not live in a bubble because we're not designed to live in bubbles Mm -hmm. i mean that's sort of what you're getting back to with food um and really during this covid thing the thing you're not hearing about which probably is like it's amazing to me how few people are talking about how do you know what makes us susceptible to this? Right. What makes us susceptible is not being healthy. Mm. What makes us susceptible is being afraid and stuck in trauma mm. loops. And how, like, what's the inner work that can be done health wise, mental health wise, physical health wise, that make us able to coexist with the dangers in the world? And really, the dangers will always be there. They've always been there yeah. since the beginning of time. And it's not through homogenization. It's not through hiding from them. And, you know, like, it's like where it's, how do we build health and fearlessness? Like Mm -hmm. not stupidity, but how do we create like our own energetic immune system? So Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff, Um, but finding, I think the big thing for people is to find sources like you 
like Trudy, like me, like sources of people that are trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And and it's not for anyone to say that we're trustworthy, <laughs> but like for people to like, like who do you resonate with? Yeah. And that you can uh, begin to like learn to be your own advocate mm -hmm. and then finding mm -hmm. practitioners. So uh, the mood chore still to me is a great starting place because mm -hmm. it's very like basic and fundamental. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, yeah. and Trudy Scott's book and then your website, let's Trudy's um, book. will you give that again? So people can it's mood, mood healing.com. Okay. And I have, I have some blogs uh, and people can read about me there. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, thank you. This is so good. Um, I love that it went in a direction that it's just like it went all over the place, like in a, in a good way. I, it was very interesting. Mm. I just, I got to figure out what I'm going to call it, but um, <laughs> thank you so, so much for being on the show. That was again. great. Thank you for um, having me. I hopefully so it won't be it. a year and a half before I have you on again. <laughs> thank you. Good to see you. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze, and I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.